Uh, we'll get into the Bible study portion. If you have your Bibles, you can turn them on or, or turn them over to open them up. Turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll be looking at the last four or five verses in chapter 12 and then by the time we're, we're finished, we'll look at the entirety of uh, chapter 13. You know, Wade called me and asked me would I, would I do this and of course I jumped at the opportunity. I, I love to be with y'all and, and love to, uh, love to um, talk about the Word of God and teach and, and all that kind of stuff. But I was kind of struggling on, on what to do. You know, I, I kind of like to connect with the audience and, and the crowd. And so I didn't know you and you didn't know me. And so I was kind of, you know, wondering. So I just asked him, I said, well, you know, what's the topic? What's the topic for tonight? What you want me to, what you want me to talk about? And he's like, well, brother, you can do whatever you want to do. You know, just whatever, whatever you feel feel led to do, that'd be fine. He said, "We what we've been doing is we've been going through books of the Bible. We've just been an outline study. You know, the one page outline." And, and talking about an overview of a Bible book. And I'm like, well, man, that's cool. That's neat. I said, I just think I'll do that. He's like, I asked him, I said, well, what, what book of the Bible are you in right now? And he's like, Song of Solomon. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> I told him, no, I think I'll just leave that easy stuff to you. I'll pick something else. And so, and so we're in 1 Corinthians tonight. Uh, First Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to begin looking at verse 27. We'll read through verse 31, ask God to bless it, and then I'll share with you what he's put on my heart here tonight. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, Paul's talking to the church at Corinth, and he says, Now, you're the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do they all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that tonight. Uh, that you would show us this still more excellent way. Uh, God, we, we kind of know who we are as your church, and we kind of know what we are supposed to be doing, but, but Lord, so many times we struggle. We're grateful uh, that you've called us to be salt and light in this community. Uh, but Lord, we are still seeking that most excellent way. And so tonight my prayer is that through the illumination of your Holy Spirit, God, that you would teach us this. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I'm to talk to you tonight about a more excellent way to be salt and light in the community in which you serve. Because really, that's the mission of the church, right? I mean, when we begin to think about the mission of the church, we, we normally go to two specific passages, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, and go therefore and make disciples. And, and that's certainly true. Uh, I wouldn't, don't, you know, don't quote me and certainly don't tell Dr. Stevens that I sat up here and said that's not the mission of the church. It is. We're to go and make disciples. Or sometimes we go to, to, the, uh, to the other version of that in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, you shall be witnesses to me, right? until the ends of the earth. And so when we begin to think about the mission of the church, we normally gravitate toward one of those two passages. But I want you to think about another way 
of saying what I just got through saying, of, of, be, of making disciples and being witnesses in maybe a different context. See, what I have discovered is that Jesus began to talk about the mission of the church as early as the Sermon on the Mount. Back in Matthew chapter 5, you remember, he, he, he went up on the hillside and he sat down and his disciples came to him and he taught them saying, and then we have the, the, the Beatitudes, the first 12 verses, those Beatitudes that we're supposed to have, you know, as followers of him. But then about verse 13, and then again in 14, he began to reveal our purpose, our, our, our mission who we were supposed to be and what we're supposed to do. said it this way in verse 13, uh, you're the salt of the earth. And then in verse 14, he comes along and he says, you're the light of the world. Those two statements really give us a great indication of our mission, who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be doing. As salt, we're supposed to be influencers of our community and our world for the gospel and the glory of God. Because that's what salt does, right? Salt influences everything that it touches. If you don't believe it, just try popcorn without salt, right? I love it. I love popcorn. But don't give me popcorn without salt. It's terrible. Well, in the same way, in the same way, a church without influence is terrible. A community without the influence of the church, let me say that the right way, a community without the influence of the church is a terrible community, right? You see, here's what I believe. I believe that that Longview Point or any other church is not where they are by accident. I think you were planted in this particular spot for a particular purpose and that's to influence the community in which you live. That's what salt does. But then Jesus goes on. He says, he says, not only are you salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. We're, think about what a light does. A light illuminates the darkness and points the way to safety. Think about a first responder, right? You, you show up on the, on the roadside late at night and thank God for first responders, right? What are they doing? They're illuminating the dangers in the darkness and they're pointing the way to safety. Well, that's, that's us. That's the church. We're to go out into the world in which we live. We're to illuminate the dangers in the darkness and we're point them to the way. Jesus Christ our Lord, right? And so that's why I say that, that the mission of the church is to be salt and light. Well, if that's true, then the most important question that we can ask ourselves tonight is how do we do that in an effective way? Because be perfectly honest with you, in the place that I come from, we're not very effective in what we do. Our, our salt is, is in danger of, of losing its saltiness. And our light is in danger of dimming to the point where it's imperceptible to the world in which we live. And so we have to find an effective way to do what Christ has called us to do. And so the most important question is how? How can we do that in an effective way? Well, that's where this passage comes. Paul says it's love. Paul says love is the most excellent way to be salt in life. you got a handout. Write that down to a little bullet point. Love is the most important way to be salt and light. That's exactly 
what Paul was trying to tell the Corinthians in our text for tonight. As we turn our attention to the text, what we have is Corinth Baptist Church, who is a lot like the point. We think they're different because they come from different times and places. In fact, I would submit to you that we probably think our situation is a lot worse than theirs. That's what we hear, especially in light of this coronavirus pandemic and the chaos that's hit our land. We're like, oh my goodness, times are as bad as they've ever been. Well, that's not true. Times have been bad since the beginning of time. It was bad in the time of the Corinthians. The, the, the church that Paul wrote to was, was a church just like you guys in that they knew their purpose. They knew. They knew. Paul had come and, and he had indoctrinated them. And they knew their purpose. They knew they were supposed to be salt and light. Their problem wasn't a problem of purpose. It was a problem of practice. You see, they were doing a horrible job at trying to be salt and light. Well, Paul got wind of it. And he did what he did frequently. He sat down and he wrote him a letter. First Corinthians. Well, actually he wrote two letters. Some would say three. To address the problems in the Corinthian church. And I mean, Paul's a great leader. He didn't, he didn't dodge any issue. He tackled even the most difficult issues that were out there. You know, he talked about disunity and he talked about cliques and he talked about sexual immorality and he, went, he just went down the list, you know, and he, he gets to chapter 12 and the topic is spiritual gifts or, or, or disruption in the worship service and speaking in tongues and what all that looks like. And, and he addressed that issue. But then at the very end, he's like, listen, Listen, all of those things are problems. All of those things are issues. They need to be addressed. But let me show you a more excellent way. And that's where we get chapter 13 in 1 Corinthians. You all know chapter 13 of the book of 1 Corinthians is called the love chapter, right? See, that's what Paul's pointing at the whole time. He's like, listen, you're in a mess. But let me show you a more excellent way to be salt and light. And then he gave them, in chapter 13, he gave them three ways that love shaped that church so that they could be salt and light. And so I want to share that, that with you um, this afternoon. Number one, Paul says, love shapes my being. Love shapes my being. My being is who I am. Once I've been transformed by the gospel. And in the first three verses of chapter 13, Paul gives us three characteristics of a person who has been transformed by the gospel. Number one, a person who's been transformed by the gospel is a witness of the gospel. Look in verse one. If I speak in the tongue of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, a witness is one who testifies to the truth of something. All right? And... While we understand that the primary problem in chapter 12 was over speaking in tongues, that's what Paul was addressing there. They were getting up, they were speaking in tongues. There was no, no interpreters creating chaos. That's what Paul was addressing. I just want to submit to you tonight that, that the greatest gift of the tongue is gospel proclamation. Would you agree with that? Will we say that? That if you're going to, you know, the gift of tongue is supposed to edify the church. And, and I don't know of any greater way to edify the church than to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, Paul says that's great. It's a great thing. 
to be able to use our language. It's a great thing to be able to use our tongue. It's a great thing to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we have to make sure that it's grounded in love or else it'll be completely ineffective. You have to ask why. Why is that? Well, I, got, I have two reasons. Number one, love is my motivation for the gospel. Love is my motivation for the gospel. In other words, if I'm tasked with the, uh, some call it responsibility, I call it great privilege of sharing the gospel. If I'm, if I'm tasked with that privilege of sharing the gospel, but I don't have love for the target species, then more than likely I'm not going to be an effective witness. More than likely I won't tell them. Because, who do you, let me ask you this, who do you tell good news to? Those people that you love the most, right? Got a perfect example of that. I have two grandchildren, and back when my first grandchildren was on the way, my, my son and, and his wife had been, had been trying to have a baby for a long, long time. Well, lo and behold, the day came when Lakin thought she was pregnant, and so she goes to the doctor. And good news, they, have, they conduct a test, and good news, she's with child. She's going to have a baby. And so the, the irony of that is that when she received the good news, there was virtually nobody to tell. My son was gone. Her mama was gone. Both says her grandparents was gone. My wife was even gone. And so guess who got to know? <laughs> she called Pop. And I'm telling you, other than the birth of my child, that was probably the greatest news that I'd ever heard. Well, guess what I did? Immediately after I hung up the phone with Lakin, I called my wife. Why? Well, number one, she would have killed me if I hadn't, right? <laughs> but the real reason is because I love her. In fact, I love her more than anybody else on the planet. And I wanted to share good news with her. I received good news. I want to share with good news. Gospel's the same way. Y'all, nobody in here would dispute the fact that the gospel is the greatest good news that's ever been told, right? I mean, it changed my life. It changed your life. Gospel changes life. There is no news that is noteworthy other than the gospel, the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and what that means for our life. Well, there's a world out there who needs to know that good news. And we've been given the great privilege of going and sharing that with those people out there. But I'm just telling you, we're not going to do it unless we love the target species. One thing I've learned in my years as a pastor and even more so as director of mission is that you can't shame somebody into sharing the gospel. You can't beg them into sharing the gospel. The only motivation that works is a love for the target species. Number two, not only is love my motiv motivation for sharing the gospel, love is my authentication. Authentication for sharing the gospel. Now to be authentic is to be real. And I'm just here to tell you what you probably already know. Lost people are not dumb, right? Lost people are like the other people you know they can see right through you. They know whether your love for them is real. They know the motivation behind you coming and sharing the gospel, whether it's obligation or something else, or if you love them. And the old saying is true. 
They don't care what you know until they know you care. I'm, I'm just saying. We need to share the gospel. No question about it. Well, witness to the world that's got to be grounded in love. That's what Paul's saying there. Number two, Paul says, I'm a, I'm a minister of the gospel. Not only am I a witness of the gospel, I'm a minister of the gospel. And, and once again, if my ministry is not grounded in the love of God, it's going to be useless. Look in verse 2. If I have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. You see, Paul has turned his attention here from the speaking gifts to the ministry gifts. And once again, the message is clear. He, he's like, listen, ministry gifts are not bad. Ministry gifts are great. In fact, the church will die without ministers using their ministry gifts, right? He's like, prophecy is a good gift. Knowledge is a good gift. Teaching is a good gift. Faith is a good gift. But they're all worth nothing unless they're grounded in love. Why? Why is love so important to ministry? Well, number one, in the handout, Love keeps me in the ministry. If I'm, and, and, and let me just stop here and say this about ministry. We're not talking about staff only. Everybody's a minister of the gospel. You not only were you saved from something, your sin, but you were saved to something, and that's the minister to the needs of others. And so when I, when I use that ministry, I'm talking about all of us collectively here. Uh, but we don't do it, we won't do it long. We won't do it very long. If we don't have love. Um, I don't know if you've realized it or not. But sheep um, are very messy. And it's difficult to minister to sheep. And the, the truth of the matter is. We won't stay in the fight very long. If we don't love those to whom we've been called to minister. Got a great illustration from the secular world. I don't know if it's a secular world. I don't know if you can separate them. But anyway, um, man visiting a nursing home. See his mom sitting there in the waiting room. Got to watching a nurse walk by. She walked by with a bedpan and dirty linen. And he saw her wipe up, uh, vomit off the floor, you know, take care of those people. And she, he walked by. And he had all the greatest intentions. She walked by him and he's like, you know what? I wouldn't do your job for a million bucks. To which she replied and kept right on walking, neither would I. Right? <laughs> right? And all the money in the world couldn't make her do what she had been called to do. But love overflowing from the gospel is what motivated her. It's what motivates us. Uh, whether you're a pastor, li listen, you can tell, you guys can tell. Uh, if your pastor loves you or not. You can tell if your Sunday school teacher loves you or not. I, I think back to, to my life and all the people who poured their lives into me and helped me along on my spiritual journey. And uh, there were a bunch of them. And I remember most of them. There were some good ones and there were some bad ones. And the good ones were those who genuinely cared for a little boy who was wild out of his mind. Should have been kicked out of the church. But they loved him, right? With the same kind of love that Christ loved us. So, don't do it very long. You won't be very good at it, is the second blank there. 
And so we see that love shapes our being. Number two, no, I'm sorry, number three under that, I'm a servant of the gospel. I'm a servant of the gospel. Look at verse three. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Both of those acts there in verse three are sacrificial acts, right? We give away, we give away our stuff so that people who need things can have things. I mean, we're generous people. Same way with, with delivering up our bodies. We don't deliver up our bodies to be burned, but we certainly sacrifice ourselves to go wherever the gospel needs to be proclaimed, right? we got a couple in this room right now who've literally done that, gave up their livelihood to go where God had called them to go. And so, so this, is a, this is applicable. Paul says, listen, not only are we, we witnesses, not only are we ministers, but we're servants. We do these things. We give up. Great thing. We deliver up our bodies. But listen, once again, if it's not grounded in love, but have not love, Paul says, I gain nothing. It, it, it's completely useless. Put that down. Under verse, service without love is useless. Number two, we are wasting our time. And so we see how how. Love shapes our being. Let me talk with you just for a moment about how love shapes our behavior. Uh, bullet point number two, love shapes my behavior. One of the greatest ways we influence our communities, point people to Jesus, is the way that we behave. Um, whenever you identify with a body of believers, people on the outside are looking and they're, they're, they're not listening. Listen, listen. They're, they're not listening so much as what you say with your mouth as they are what you're saying with your behavior. That's what Paul gets into when he, tra he transitions from verse, from verse 3. He begins to list a list of behaviors in verse 4. And I won't read them all uh, just for time's sake. But listen to what he says. I call this the litmus test of love. If you want to know whether you're, whether you're impacted by love, take the litmus test here starting in verse 4. Love is patient and kind, does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude, does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable, resentful, does not rejoice or wrongdoing. Rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I mean, we're getting personal here, I know, and y'all saying... Preacher's meddling tonight, but, but this is important. This is important because people in your neighborhood, people next door to you, the people you work with, they're looking at you and they're wanting to see something different in you because they know where they are and they know how chaotic and how wicked and how hopeless the world is and so they're looking for hope. And they know you claim to have that hope. Right? They know your members here. Uh, they know that you claim to be a follower of Jesus. And they want to see the difference that that makes. And so show them. You know, behavior does matter. Put that down. Uh, number one, uh, A, people you know are watching you. B, behavior does matter. It does matter. And then number three, and I'll, I'll be finished. Love shapes my bearing. Love shapes my bearing. Um, 
verse 8. Love never ends. Aren't you glad? As for prophecies, they'll pass away. For tongues, they'll cease. For knowledge, it'll pass away. We know in part, we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And let me, let me, let me get you to focus here just a minute. A bearing is a direction to a destination. You got it? It's kind of like we want to go somewhere, and so we set a direction to go there. The, de the, the bearing, the direction that we go, is always dependent on the goal that we have. Y'all following me? Have a, have a fishing boat. Got a remote control trolling motor on it. It's got a heading button on it. And it'll go wherever I want it to go. But I have to tell it where to go. I have to know where I'm going before I can set my direction. Well, that's what Paul is telling the Corinthians here. He's like, listen, you're trying to be salt and light. Doing the right thing. But you're messing it up horribly. And the problem is you have the wrong goal in mind. See, the goal in mind is not prophecy and tongues and cliques and who follows who and all this stuff that they were so occupied with. The goal is Christ. That's what the perfect means there. We know in part, we prophesy in part. When the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. He's our goal. Paul said it in Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. If you've ever wondered what God's plans for you are, that's it. He wants you to one day look exactly like Jesus. In order to do that, we have to let some of this other stuff fall by the wayside. Right? Had old deacon. North went on a Baptist church. I was pastor there. It was on a Sunday morning, about nine o'clock. I always came in early, sitting there in the sanctuary. And I'm a I'm a kind of guy who, who can't I can't hide my emotions. It's written all over my face. If I'm happy, everybody knows it. If I'm sad, everybody knows it. If I'm worried, everybody knows it, right? Well, this particular moment, morning, I was worried. Church wasn't going good. And it was written all over my face. He walks in. He's like, hey, Brother Ken. Walks up, turns everything on, walks down the other aisle. Comes up, sits down beside me on the pew. He's like, you need to take the dime test. And I'm like, what's the dime test? And he pulled out a dime. He says, spell it. I'm like, it's going to be easy, right? D-I-M-E. He's like, you know what that stands for? I said, no, sir. He says, does it matter eternally? Does it matter eternally? Mm-hmm. He said, if it does then you don't need to leave that pew until it's settled. He said, but if it doesn't, 
you need to get over it and get about the business of serving Christ. He'll never know the impact that made on my life because there are so many things in our lives that while they're not necessarily bad things, are not the best thing. And the only way that we'll be the salt and the light that Christ intended for us to be is if and when we focus on the main thing. Our goal, our goal is to look like Jesus and bring as many people along as we can. And so let me encourage you with that. Let love shape everything about you and your church. Let it shape your being. It's going to tell you who you are. Let it shape your behavior. So here's the thing about, here's the thing about bad behavior. You can't overcome that on your own. Believe me, I've tried it for 40 years. You don't overcome bad behavior. You overcome bad behavior when you continually, day by day, surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ. You learn of His love and you allow His love to change you from the inside out. Let it change your behavior. But then let it change your bearing. Focus on Him and Him alone.